Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. So, Roger, it's the Tory tax fight. It's begun in earnest, trying to plug uh, the hole created by COVID-19 and a national debt of more than two trillion pounds now. Yeah, it's leading Conservatives saying that the idea of doing taxes to fill that gap is not what they want. That comes after news reports over the weekend. The Treasury was considering that move. The Daily Telegraph said officials were trying to raise at least £20 billion a year. And one idea was aligning capital gains tax with income tax. The Times is saying that another is hiking corporation tax. Well, the former Conservative Chancellor, Norman Lamont, says that moving too quickly could actually put the recovery at risk. But he also agrees that something does need to be done to alleviate the deficit. My own preference would be not to do it immediately, but perhaps to indicate in the autumn that this will be done next year, that something needs to be done, either tax rises or public expenditure cuts. It is probably inevitable. Lord Lamont there. Well, Labour wasn't immediately enthusiastic. The shadow business minister, Lucy Powell, said Rishi Sunak should be thinking of securing previously viable companies instead. And Robert Palmer from the campaign group Tax Justice UK is urging the government to focus on the wealthy. If we're going to have tax rises in the medium to long term, they really need to target those who have the most. And that would be in line with Boris Johnson's rhetoric of levelling up and also politically smart because the Conservatives are trying to win more seats in the north. So, uh, Robert Palmer there from Tax Justice UK. Well, for more on this story, let's bring in John Penrose, who is Conservative MP for Western Supermare and also a former Minister of State for Northern Ireland. Good afternoon, John. Thank you so much for being with us. So, look, first of all, on the debate then of the day, do you share concerns uh, that your colleagues have about uh, raising taxes swiftly? Is it time for this to start? I think you're right to say, and I think Lord Lamont was right to say, there just aren't any good choices because what we've got is a smaller economy because of COVID. We all hope that the economy is going to bounce back, but you know, no one's expecting it to bounce back immediately and at full, full speed. Everyone can see that at work for themselves. So that only leaves you with three choices. You can either carry on borrowing, which is not a sustainable thing to do indefinitely. You've got to balance the books at some point. You can't spend money you haven't got. And if you're going to do that, then you've either got to cut spending we just come out of 10 years of, of austerity. That's not a terribly palatable thing. Or raise taxes. So I, I don't think, 
know, without trying to sort of second guess Rishi Sunak's first budget when he when he stands at the dispatch box sometime this autumn, um, you know, it's a really it's a it's it's one of those you know nightmare budgets which is really really difficult, um, and my guess is that he'll have to you'll have to consider at least all those two you know both those two options in some sort of a mix because well, he can't not balance the books. Well, John, what would you do? I mean, in this situation, as you say, no easy answers. But if you're the if you're the man who has to, and I mean, you will be influencing, I guess, as a as a Conservative MP, what should he do? Well, so I'd, I'd try and make sure that, you know, that the, there's always talk about government waste. So you try and deal with that. You try and uh, and cut where you can, but you've got to be really careful with that because we've had ten years of of austerity. I think he's also going to have to. Um, do some tax reforms, which is slightly different from just just whacking up tax rates. So, for example, um, at the moment, uh, we tend to tax income an awful lot more um, heavily if you earn it, like you you and I do, compared to if you get it off unearned income um, if if you're someone rich with with a share portfolio. Now, that doesn't seem right. That seems like we're we're sort of favouring the the haves and and, and at the expense of the have-nots. Last time we treated earned and unearned income the same was under uh, was was under Nigel Lawson, you know, Thatcher's Chancellor. So you, there's all sorts of things which we could do to make the tax system fairer. Um, and if Rishi needs to raise a little bit more money at that point, he might be able to do that as part of the mix. But mm. you know, I don't think anybody envies Rishi Sunak's problem later on this autumn. No, I mean, I certainly don't. But when you talk about kind of little increases, £20 billion a year is not little. And you're talking about actually taxing investors and potentially also, I wonder if you're including in that corporations, perhaps that might be seen as fairer by some, but it basically hits business creators, investors, uh, and, and that would sort of perhaps surely be anathema to the Conservative Party. So, so, so you know, broadly speaking, you know, no Conservative, myself included, likes the idea of, of tax rises at all, because you know, particularly when you've got an economy which is fragile, then you've got to make sure that you don't choke off demand. You've got to make sure that the that the, uh, the, 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 the economy continues to rebound if you can. So you can't do anything too quickly, which I think was what Lord de Mont was saying. He said, you know, you've got to signal it, you've got to move steadily but purposefully to make sure everyone understands we are going to have to balance the books you know, in, the, in the reasonable future. But you're right, you've got to make sure that uh, you, I mean, what, I, what I'm suggesting is that we should, we should equalise taxes. I'm not saying we should, we should sort of penalise people at all. We're just trying to make it fairer. But that'll only be one part of it. You know, Rishi Sunak will have to look at all the other things too. He'll have to make savings where he can. Um, but there will be, you're right, huge pressure not to choke off demand because, you know, Tories don't want to raise taxes because it's ultimately, it's, you know, the government doesn't have any money. They spend our money, your and my money, um, through taxes. So it's, it's not the government's money at all. It's always other people's money. So, John, the, the, to answer your own question, if there's not going to be enough made, for, as you say, equalising taxes, that's not going to produce uh, the, the amount that's necessary. As you say, you don't want to push away entrepreneurs and people who might actually help the economic recovery. So the only other option would be some form of cuts, wouldn't it? Yeah, as I said, there aren't any good options here, and that is the only other choice, unless you're willing to carry on borrowing, you know, indefinitely. And, and I don't think that that's, uh, you know, the Conservative Party needs to be able to show that we can balance the books. I think any responsible government needs to show that we can balance the books. So so he might need to carry on borrowing for a bit longer, but he needs to show a path to getting to the point where the, you know, the day-to-day spending um, is, you know, we're all living as a country within our means. So, yeah, there aren't any good choices. You're right. Hmm. So what would you cut? Goodness knows is the short, is the short answer to that one. Um, the, 
there are some things which are going to get worse in the short term because if we end up with more people out of work, you end up with a bigger benefits bill, for example. That's just unavoidable, um, and it's uh, and you can't start um, trying to change any of that. There are some bits and pieces that you might be able to do with, with, um, with trying to um, limit government waste and so forth, but those are small. So, as I said before, I don't think that there is any huge appetite for yet more austerity, um, but it may, be, it may be something that you've got to look for, but that, that's something which will come out of the spending review, which is just being launched now. That will be a conversation with each individual spending department, and it'll be quite a detailed conversation saying, all right, you, know, you spend money on this program, you currently spend £100 million on it in, in a year, what can you do with £80 million? Right. And you can't prejudge that. That's a very, very complicated, very, very detailed conversation. But that's where they're going to have to have those conversations to say, well, what happens if we do things differently? What happens if we change the way we, we, we spend the money? Can we make yet more more uh, more um, uh, efficiency savings? Because mm. I don't think anyone wants to just have outright service reductions and cuts like that. But can we do things digitally more efficiently? I mean, one of the things that's happened during the course of the, of the lockdown is that we've all started working differently and we're all spending less money, for example, on commuting and less money probably on rent in due course as well in, in terms of um, office office rent and, and, and costs. What does that mean? What's the equivalent of that for government? What can yeah. government do to change the way it works to be more efficient um, in order to spend less taxpayers' cash? John, the, the, the thing that occurs to me is this is a storm on the horizon. You can see it coming, the, the, the budget yeah. that needs to be done. There have been a lot of storms on the horizon. It has to be said this government hasn't excelled in avoiding them. Uh, if one looks to the education issue, if one looks to some of the health issues. I mean, do you have much confidence that, that your colleagues in government will be able to do this in a way that doesn't just make it yet another elephant trap for a government that seems to be regularly falling into them? I, but, but I'm not sure I'd accept the premise of your question there. But, but yeah, nonetheless, you are right to say um, that the you know, this is one you can see it coming. Um, as I said, there's, there's, there's two things that have got to happen. One is you've got to have the spending review, which is starting now, and all the all the different spending departments are going through, saying, yeah, all right, what do we what do we spend money on last year and the year before? Can we afford to carry on doing that? Can we justify carrying on doing that? So that is a pretty professional. And, uh, and sort of detailed process. So that bit sh- should be done um, you know, with, with a great deal of care and detail. So you can, you can spot that coming. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, you know, Rishi Sunak can see it coming now. I, th- I think Rishi is a very clever, bright man. And he's also got his head screwed on right. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think anyone envies him in the job, but he, you can, he can see the storm coming. Um, I don't think we will be able to steer around it. The, you know, the, the, the arithmetic doesn't allow you to steer around this storm. Um, you've got to find the least, the least difficult way through it. Okay, so Rishi can see the storm coming, let him beware, but of course he's not alone. Should he actually be extending the furlough scheme? Should we be extending the eat out to help out scheme in your view? Um, So I think that both of those two have been um, actually really key for the first stage of lockdown um, and for helping us start to come out of it and helping the case of eat out to help out, helping the rebound. Um, I'd be nervous about extending either of them for very much longer, um, just n- not because they haven't been successful, they have, but just because they're more government spending. And if we are going to try and limit what the government spends, because otherwise you've got to have huge tax rises, we ought to be getting to the stage where the economy is be- behaving in a more normal fashion. Um, and if we can get back to normality, then you don't need to spend that money. And that means you don't need to put pressure on taxpayers. And that means you don't need to, um, therefore, uh, you know, have that upward pressure on taxes. So 
I would I would say that they've been very successful, but they're also something which you can't do indefinitely. You've got to draw a line under them pretty soon, I think. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Let's have a look at what else is making the news in the world of politics and exams again. We thought we'd got past all that, but no, Labour is calling for A-level and GCSE students in England to be given more time before setting next year's exams. The Scheduled Shadow Education Secretary, Kate Green, says the delay from May to June or July will benefit students who've missed out on months of learning due to the virus crisis. But she says that's not the only measure that would make a difference. The government needs to put in place a range of plans to make sure those students get the very best chance uh, of their education um, being fully provided and the very best chance of showing their potential and their, their attainment when it comes to the assessment. And what about fines for ravers? Police have issued £10,000 fines to at least 11 people for their part in organising mass gatherings this weekend. So getting quite serious. New coronavirus laws came uh, into effect across England and Wales on Friday to crack down on things like illegal raves. But actually, Fulcher, amongst the people fined is Jeremy Corbyn's brother, Piers, who's been billed for his role, not in a rave, but in an anti-lockdown protest in London. He says, is going to appeal it. Now, eat out to help out. Of course, it's the very final day that you can do that. The Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, has thanked diners who took advantage of the eat out to help out initiative as the scheme comes to a close today. The deal gives a discount of 50%, up to £10 per head for people eat at participating restaurants. Now, the Chancellor said more than 64 million meals had been claimed since the initiative was launched at the beginning of August in an attempt to boost the hospitality industry during the pandemic. A number of chains have said they will, in fact, continue the practice into September, even though government financial support is being withdrawn. Mm, says the popularity. And then lastly, the SNP's Westminster leader has said that the Prime Minister has been, quote, woefully exposed by his handling of the coronavirus crisis. Ian Blackford says that the government's decision to end the furlough scheme in October is the height of irresponsibility and believes that the economy is not ready to go back to normal. Speaking ahead of uh, MPs returning to the House of Commons, of course, tomorrow, he added that the Scottish First Minister, Nicholas Sturgeon, showed very firm leadership in contrast with Boris Johnson's U-turn. So there you have criticism of uh, the Prime Minister. Now, last week we saw the election of Ed Davey as the new head of the Liberal Democrats. Another leadership contest has been underway with the Green Party, and that winds up today. Joining us now is Natalie Bennett, former Green Party leader herself, now in the House of Lords. Natalie, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. It has to be said, I mean, you're a tiny party. You have one MP in Parliament. You do have representation, of course, at local government level, but you haven't really broken through in British politics. So a lot of people say, well, what does it matter who leads the Green Party if it doesn't really have any influence? Well, of course, it depends which election you look at. If you look at the last actual fair democratic election that was held in the UK, which was the European elections under a proportional system, the Green Party got 12% of the vote, and we got more votes than the Conservative Party did. And if you also look at those local government elections, which are, of course, very important to people's individual lives up and down the country, 
in the last elections in 2019, we doubled our number of local councillors in a single election, which hasn't been done by another major party in modern political history. Um, so, you know, we're very much a rising and a coming force. And uh, you know, a huge force we see around the world. So many Green parties are you know, taking a place in government, uh, taking over government. So mm. we're very much the rising force in politics in the UK and around the world. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting. That's really why we raise the contrast in some ways, because Green parties have been doing so well abroad, but really not as well here in the UK, although I appreciate the kind of at local level argument. Do you think that one of the problems for the UK is that actually green issues are dropping down the agenda precisely because the virus and the economic fallout from the pandemic are simply so huge here? Uh, I disagree. I mean, I think it's, it's, in fact, it's very much the reverse. I mean, first of all, if you look at where COVID came from, uh, it's a zoonosis, a disease uh, that came from animals. And it's a product of the fact that we're intruding more into nature, disrupting nature more, and we face the threat of many more viruses like that. Um, so you, the issues of environment are very much in front of people's minds. But also there's the fact that um, you, even the you know, Prime Minister has got the phrase, which I think possibly we started, which was uh, build back better, or is that the outside of politics started build back better. The fact is you, what we had before COVID was a broken society with a huge level of poverty and inequality. Um, and what we've seen through COVID is that it's actually possible to change things very quickly. I mean, we're used in the Green Party to being told, oh, you know, you're saying we need to be net zero carbon by 2030, but oh, even 2050 is really ambitious. Uh, but you, and, you know, things can't change that fast. But we've seen with COVID, things can change very fast. And many people are saying, you know, actually, all of the you know, suffering, stress, worry, the death, the fear, uh, despite all of that, what we're also seeing is, gosh, the air doesn't like diesel fumes anymore and we can hear the birds and see more wildlife and isn't that you know something things we want to hang on to we want to change our we want to do active transport uh walking and cycling and also because because we know that obesity you know very much you know is one of the contributors to covid problems Natalie, let me ask you something about the party itself because a lot of people like myself have been reading in the past few weeks and months indeed about a lot of internal problems. I mean, you're a party that uh, appears to many people to be working on a, in a very different way to a lot of other parties, perhaps a more ethical way in some ways. But, for example, in March, the executive of your party overruled the party's disciplinary committee, who'd ruled that the party chair, Liz Reason, should be suspended from the party for two years and barred from being a party officer for four years. So that was for misconduct. And then one of the current leadership candidates it turns out, has actually been disqualified from holding office for breaking party rules, though that was suspended, uh, and, and, he, and he is now standing for office as leader. I mean, what's going on inside your party? Well, what we are is a very open and democratic party, and the fact that we've got the leadership election this year is one of the things that demonstrates that, in that we re-elect our leadership team uh, every two years, so people aren't just in a position to, to, uh, to be in that position and then to cling on to their fingernails until they're forced out. Um, things happen in an open and transparent way. And that means that, you know, what happens in the Green Party is visible to all members and then visible to all the public. Uh, we operate in an open and transparent way. And, of course, people are very, very passionate about our politics. You know, people really say, you know, understand that we have to move very fast uh, towards a society that works within the physical limits of this one planet um, uh, while also giving everyone a decent life. And, of course, that makes people passionate. So, you know, we're open, we're transparent. You can see what's happening. It's all there for everyone to see. And, you know, I, I would just probably not the same in other parties. Well, you 
say you're open and transparent, but what the leadership candidate who I was talking about, who uh, has had a suspension of his disqualification from holding office, that wasn't put out there when he stood for this office. So people voting would not be aware that potentially uh, this is someone who could become leader and then possibly uh, be, be, be suspended again, uh, not be able to be leader. That's not very transparent, well, is it? Well, one of the things that we've really seen in this election that I'm really pleased about is, is we've seen a very high level of, of um, social media debate, social media discussion, a great deal of putting out traditionally in the Green Party when I was um, elected as leader back in 2012. We really didn't have much principle of, of much practice of a really contested elections, and it's a sign of the fact that the party is developing and growing. That we're very much um, you know, there's a great deal of space on social media. I'm seeing it all of the time, um, and so you know people are hearing about all of the stories, everything that's happening uh, is out there for, for, for the voters, for the members of the party's mind. Hmm. Um, yeah. Who do you think should be leading the party then? Shirar Ali, Rosemary Sexton, Jonathan Bartley, Sean Berry, all names in the ring won't be household names. Uh, you know, and the two-year rotation does mean that they don't get much chance to build momentum. Who do you think is in the best position to lead the party now? Well, I've always uh, adopted the position that I, since I became leader of the party, I've never endorsed any candidate for any internal position. And again, you know, this is perhaps a, a measure of how the Green Party operates differently. I think that you, because I was leader for four years, because I'm now a member of the House of Lords, because I spend a lot of time going around, well, it's virtually now going around talking to local parties, that my view would have what I would regard as, as an undue weight. Um, you know, I think it's better for members to look at what the, at the videos, the website, talk to the candidates, go to a husting, make up their own mind. And that's kind of how we do things differently in the Green Party. Um, and I think that's, that's, you know, that's always been my choice. Uh, and I'm afraid I'm not going to change it to right now, a few hours before the voting close. Natalie, what do you think is the single most important policy that your party could now adopt that might actually get you perhaps a bit more in the way of representation, might bring you much more into the public discourse? What would you want to see? Well, I think if you look at policies in the public discourse, we have a huge track record of what we've been talking about over many years. Um, if we, I just actually just popped up on my Facebook feed, you know, those things from your Facebook history was 13 years ago. Um, I was with uh, Sean Berry, who was then seeking to be a councillor in, in Camden Council, um, complaining about air pollution. You know, we started talking about air pollution, now a very mainstream issue, making the minimum wage a real living wage. That was something we were talking about more than a decade ago, and George Osborne conceded the principle if actually failed to deliver um, on it. Uh, with what I call George Osborne's fake living wage. They try and call the minimum wage now the living wage. Universal basic income, been Green Party policy for decades, now come very much to the fore. Four-day working week is standard with no loss of pay. Look at all of those things. They're things that the Green Party has led on and that others will follow, have followed. Um, and you know, I think if we look at some of the things that are coming forward, I think we're starting to really focus on the issue of externalised costs, the fact that um, you know, if we look at companies who are making huge profits while not paying a real living wage, while creating a huge amount of pollution uh, and rubbish that the rest of society has to pay to clean up. Um, I mm. think that whole issue of ensuring you know, one of the new next coming things is going to be that issue of ensuring that um, people can't profit while the rest of us pay. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.